This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. If you happen to be one of those that needs a wake-up call when September ends, consider this your wake-up call. Hello, everyone. It is Scoop Podcast episode number 101. 101 being brought to you on the 2nd of October, at least a good portion. Actually, you know what? We'll do all of it here on the 2nd of October. We'll do a bunch on the Twins-Yankees game on Tuesday night. We'll catch up with Wolves slash Lynx owner Glenn Taylor. We'll see what else pops up. My schedule's a bit goofy this week. I will be in on Tuesday, but just late night. We're actually bringing back Twins Rap. I will work with Phil Mackey. We will take your reaction to the action. Joe Schmidt, Chris Long, myself, Al Newman chimed in. This was a number of years ago when the Twins were on 1500 ESPN. We used to do a call-in show, a reaction show. You know, we shared our thoughts. We analyzed what we saw on the field that particular game. Then we took a bunch of calls. We will do that again late Tuesday. So when the Twins end, Yankees end. Be sure to listen in to 1500 ESPN, or you can listen on 1500ESPN.com, 651-646-8255 to call in. So I will only be in the office late Tuesday. Then Wednesday, I actually have some morning show duties for Channel 5, the morning show on Channel 5. So I'll be in like at 5 a.m., but then out for the rest of the day, out by like 7 a.m. So in terms of taping a podcast, Monday, today, was the best day for me to do that. So we'll catch up with Glenn Taylor in a second. But first, some love for one of the sponsors of the Scoop Podcast, Vine Park Brewing. Vinepark.com for more information. $7. Get you a tour of Vine Park. They are right there on West 7th Street in St. Paul between 35E and downtown St. Paul, closer to 35E. They've been around for 22 years. Trust me, you have a good product, a very good product if you've been around for 22 years. So many beer options in town, you don't survive that long unless you have really good tasting beer. $7 gets you a tour of Vine Park Brewery, plus it gets you some Heggie's Pizza, a flight or a pint. You get to bond with owner Andy, huge hockey fan. I guarantee he's pumped up with the wild season beginning later this week. So be sure to check out vinepark.com for more information or swing in. Maybe you don't need to take the $7 tour. Just swing in, grab a growler. Their beer is fantastic. All right, let's get to Glenn Taylor, Wolves and Lynx owner. Glenn, I'd like to think that this podcast at times can be an escape from everything that's going on in the world. Before we get to the Lynx, to the Wolves, what was your reaction when you woke up this morning and heard about the tragedy in Las Vegas? It could be anybody. Any one of our families could have been in attendance out there and something like that. It's just, uh, and the second part, it's just unbelievable that these things can happen. I mean, it really is. I mean, again, I wasn't hoping or wanting to talk about this with you. You know, again, I'd like to think that this podcast can be an escape from from everything that's going on, but it's just, it's so top of mind. And I just, I was blown away and I just came back from the Wild locker room and Jason Zucker, maybe you know who Jason is, who plays for the Wild. He's a Vegas native. One of his friends was there, unfortunately was shot, fortunately is in stable condition, you know, but it seems like, you know, whether it's, you know, first degree of separation, secondary separation, you know, or third degree. I mean, somebody almost knows somebody that was there last night. There were so many people there, Glenn. Yeah. No, I heard there's just uh, tens of thousands. So, no, it, it's uh, it's just hard for me to understand it, number one. Number two, it just um, it can happen any place, uh, any particular event or and in that sense, it's just kind of scary. I mean, with your political background going back, Glenn, I mean, is there a hope that, that these political sides can can come together, can galvanize, not polarize, and, you know, somehow figure out whatever the solution might be to all these mass shootings? There's just been so many the last, you know, go back 10 or 15 years. 
Well, I just by nature am a positive person, and therefore when you ask me is there hope, I always say I would say yes to you. Yes, there's hope. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy, but it's possible, and when things are possible, then we just have to set our minds to it and uh, find the leadership that will take us in the right direction. There's got to be people that have that ability that, that can be done. We just have to find them and, and believe in them and help them. Well put, Glenn. There's, there's not an easy segue, but we will attempt to segue to, to some entertainment here with, with the links. I mean, I suppose in an ideal world, you know, you guys are celebrating a championship right now. You sweep the Sparks, you win the Series 3-0. But from my standpoint, many fans' standpoint, is there anything better than a Game 5, a winner-take-all scenario? As everybody has said, and, and I know personally, I mean, they have a great coach. They have a great team. And they really match up with our players very well. You have uh, contests within, within uh, you know, the starting five that's just unique and, and special. So uh, it never was going to be an easy win. I'm just really proud of our team that we were able to come back last night and do it in such a strong way because I think that will help us for Wednesday night. But uh, it's very entertaining. Uh, hopefully it, it uh, could be as entertaining as last year, but with different results. Absolutely. What makes this team so resilient? There were people doubting your team after game one, after the way the game began. And Cheryl Reeve even called out the team saying, hey, they were defending like it was a preseason game, but they respond. I mean, they play very well, well enough to win game two. Then game three struggles. A lot of people thought, hey, L.A. will win this series on Sunday night. The series will be over in four. Yet your team responded, responded incredibly well. What makes your team so resilient? Well, when I watch the team, and and I have over all these years, but even this year, I just believe that we are the best team. It's just a matter of that we uh, put our energy into it and put our uh, our plays into it. We seem to have spurts, which we can show the other team that we are by far the better team. And then for some reason or other, we regress a little bit and start taking uh, shots that are more difficult, uh, shots that are too quick in the and, and you know, bringing the ball down in the 24 seconds. And um, and I don't know why we do that with a veteran team as mm-hmm. we have. But uh, but um, but we seem to do that every once in a while. We just lose focus, I guess. What was so surprising to you about Game 4? I mean, you guys can control the offensive glass really well. But, I mean, you guys dominated in second-chance points the offensive glass on Sunday night. That, to me, is what stood out the most about Game 4. Well, I, I looked at um, what Rebecca did, and, and I think mm-hmm. uh, she just took it on herself personally, uh, and she got off to a good start. But then I, my guess is just watching the game that uh, a change that we made is that when Sovia got double teamed, that Rebecca went right to the board, and then they got a lot of easier ones that way with Rebecca coming in and picking up the layups and stuff like that. I, I didn't see that in some of the earlier games. We were tossing the ball back out, and we weren't hitting some of our jump shots from outside. And I think they just decided there was an easier play, and that was for Rebecca to come in quickly and, and just get the handoff and go in for the easy shot. I mean, how enjoyable, Glenn, is an engaged Rebecca Brunson? I mean, when she's really into the game, she's a joy to watch. Well, she is. She is. She's a, she's a, a feisty uh, woman out there on the, out there on the court, and, and and I can see that the other teams sometimes <laughs> don't like her because she is a pesty uh, defender, 
and but yet she's such a lovely person when you meet her off the court that it's uh, it's it's just I'm kind of chuckling here because it's two mm-hmm. personalities. How goofy was Game Three for you, Glenn? I mean, Simone Augustus. When does she not score in a game? Lindsay Whalen. I mean, she barely played there the last whatever it was, the last 12, 13, 14 minutes, Augustus and Whalen were non-factors in Game 3. It was so weird to see. Well, I think it's hard to understand that. I mean, those those ladies are very capable, and and uh, I'm not sure why it didn't, uh, you know, work out. I mean, I know when um, Monica um, fouled out, then her uh, beard went over and, and started to guard Simone, and that really made a difference, too, because she's such a great defender. But uh, still, uh, Simone and and Lindsay just didn't uh, do any penetration like they normally do, which, you know, is so helpful to our team. L.A. just can't stop Sylvia, can they? I mean, she is guaranteed to get you at least 10 rebounds and at least 10 points. She's a double-double machine. Right. They don't have, uh, they don't have the, the individual that can stop her, so it's all double-teaming, and that's why it's so important for us that Sylvia uh, – is uh, able to get the ball out to somebody else who can get a really uh, a good shot. But we've got to be hitting, you know, on that third mm-hmm. game there. We had some people that normally would have hit their shots, but, my gosh, they just missed uh, what I'd call fairly easy shots, and which is not typical of them. You know Brian Agler, the L.A. coach, very well from his time here coaching the Lynx. What sort of adjustments do you expect him to make? You know that he's going to be making some adjustments. He's got all this time here, you know, the next 48 to 72 hours to figure out a game plan. Well, I, I, um, I'm not even going to second-guess him. I know he will make adjustments. <laughs> I know he's a very good coach. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I'm not even going to uh, second-guess what he, he uh, might do. I mean, he, he talked about in the huddle last night uh, to his players and some of the times that maybe they weren't completing their plays. They were shooting too early in the in the you know, after bringing the ball down, that they, he needed more passing. My my sense that he will um, get him back to get that passing game going to try to find an open uh, person, and that they gave up too early in the in the 24 seconds. Do you feel like Glenn that Maya has one of those all-world games in her? One of those, hey team, climb on my back, I will lead us to victory. One of those MVP-esque performances that we saw a couple years ago. I mean, she's been. It's not like she's had a, a bad year, but for her standards, it's been a bit of a down year. But we know how talented she is. I'm just wondering on Wednesday night if she finds a way to will you guys to victory. Well, I look forward to that. I mean, because traditionally her whole career has been uh, the big games that she has just come through. And uh, though she's been consistent and, and, and it's gotten better as the years gone along, uh, there's certainly room here for her just to come out and just uh, blow this thing wide open by having one of those games. I mean, when she gets going, there's just no stopping her. So I think, you know, that's what I and, and you and, and uh, I think our fans are looking for, and then with the support of the other people, because once she gets going, then they have to really start concentrating on her, and it just leaves other people open. With all due respect to Target Center, I vividly recall 04, the spring of 04, Game 7 against the Kings, the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. Target Center was rocking. But Williams Arena, Glenn, when Williams Arena is rocking, at least me personally, there's not a better venue in town. I can only imagine what Wednesday night the atmosphere will be like in the barn. No, it has a special um, uh, (laughs) noise-making ability, let's call it that. When the crowd gets in there, everybody's close to the close to the court and and it just uh, is very loud and I think very supportive to the team.
is the early buzz that that place will be absolutely filled, every seat in the house filled, you know, 13, 14,000 people? I, you know, I don't know. I just uh, uh, haven't talked to any of our people. They're working on it, and, and I'm sure that uh, our fans, if they can get over there, will be there. Did it surprise you that Cheryl called out your team the way she did after game one, or do you just know that no matter what Cheryl says, she demands respect that the team will respond no matter what she says? It didn't surprise me, no, because uh, I think I've seen Cheryl do that in the past. I mean, she she knows her players, and, and I don't, you know, she doesn't push them beyond the limits, but uh, she, she doesn't have any uh, reservation about um, saying that you're better than that, and I expect you to produce better than that, and I think she's just trying to be frank and truthful to them. Is there a way, Glenn, to quantify what a Game 5 does for the league as a whole? You know, does it create that much more buzz? Is there a way to quantify that? Does the casual fan pay that much more attention? Is there a way to quantify it based on what took place last year with a Game 5? Yeah, I think uh, Game 5 is um, very special. Um, I just think that there are people that are not normally fans of – of any particular team that when it gets down to the playoffs and stuff, all of a sudden become interested. And I, I notice that by almost every place I go that uh, people are aware of what the Lynx are doing. And I think this game five will uh, just, uh, you know, keep that going. So, I mean, I mean, we have a wonderful thing that they're doing well and the Twins are doing well, and, and I think that's just great for our community. I suppose your decision to not go to China with the Wolves, to stay here locally – is just hammered home even more with this Game 5 on Wednesday. Yeah, I heard that from a lot of our uh, fans uh, at the game the other night that they said that they thought that was terrific that I'm here supporting them. And I didn't think it was a big decision at all. I just think it was obvious that I want to be around uh, and watch us get this championship. I mean, you can go to China. You've been to China. You can go to China whenever you want, right? I mean, you sent... You sent your CEO, I'm sure you sent some other people in your front office on the business side. They can take care of the business dealings over in China. Your focus should be on the links. They will be, but I'm going to China also. So when the game's over, uh, we're going to be hopping on a plane very early the next day and uh, going over there to meet with my partner, to meet, to watch one of the games. And I got the NBA China board meeting over there, so I have a whole bunch of stuff. So I'll also get over there, but I'll complete my time here and and watch that championship game. What stood out when you watched the Wolves game on Saturday against the Lakers? I thought the ball movement was different and faster and, mm-hmm. uh, than last year. That's uh, what seemed – it seemed that way to me, that we, the guys are really moving the ball uh, a lot more, getting it up and down the court and stuff like that. Um, also, you can just see that uh, – that uh, we now have, I don't know how many, but you know, closer to 10 guys, I would guess, that we can put on the court and who are, uh, can do some things offensively that the other team has to worry about. Yeah, I mean, heck, I really liked what I saw from Jeff Teague. I get it. It's the sample size of, of just one game, but I really liked watching Jeff Teague. What about you? Well, I did. Just the way that he penetrated, uh, he could penetrate, uh, if they if they gave him a little bit of space and on that pick, you know, coming around like that, and then uh, it's just going to change, you know, how you're going to have to guard people and stuff like that. My guess is that's just going to leave as he as he comes in, it's going to leave uh, somebody else open. And then it just I thought it was great that he and Jimmy that he could throw a lot past this early in the year, and those <laughs> guys are connecting. I mean, they only practice together, you know, a week. 
and yet they've already got a connection like that, that just tells you that they're veteran players. Do you welcome the expectations of this year that everybody's saying, hey, 46, 47, 48 wins, maybe over 50 wins, that you guys absolutely are a playoff team? Well, we should be, and and that doesn't bother me that people put those expectations on us. Um, I, I think uh, we should have the coach and we should have the players that should uh, get us there without injuries. I will leave you with two more points. October 20th, I mean, as much as October 18th is circled with, with the season opener in San Antonio, how much is October 20th circled so you can show off new Target Center? Well, I, that's very special. I mean, the, the, you want to have a great environment for your fans, and I think we now have that uh, by refreshing it, and I think people are real, really appreciate it. So that's going to be a terrific evening. Have the workers pretty much been working around the clock? I mean, did we know going back a number of months that the season would start two weeks earlier? Yes, we knew that. Okay. And I've talked to the project manager, and he's been uh, confident all along that he's going to make those dates. Uh, so, you know, I know they, you know, I've been up there on weekends. I know they have been working and stuff like that, but I don't think he's felt that he's under any special pressure. I think he has a timetable, and he's, he's confident that. Uh, Everything will be done. We have two weeks until the deadline for Andrew Wiggins to sign the extension. It's still a no-brainer that, that that deal will happen here in the next two weeks? Well, that's I believe so. I, I have no reason to think that isn't going to happen. It's just up to Andrew at this point. I mean, who turns down the max, right? I mean, especially off a rookie deal, right, Glenn? I mean, guys well, just don't turn down max offers. Well, I don't. I mean, I've talked to him, and I don't I anticipate him uh, getting it signed. I mean, did it surprise you he even went out there and risked injury on, on Saturday against the Lakers? I mean, he is putting himself a little bit at risk when, when playing without signing the contract. Uh, he, he evidently doesn't see it as much of a risk. Uh, otherwise, he probably wouldn't have done that. I mean, he's been uh, not hurt. I guess he said something about over all these years. So, But, uh, you know, I'm as one who advises him and cares about him, I just assume that he get his contract signed. Is your roster still fluid, Glenn, or is this the group that we'll see here for the next handful of weeks? I mean, is there trade talk going on or no, talking to more this, free agents? No, I think this is a group you're going to see. And it's a fun group, right? I mean, right. heck, even the reminder, we talked last time a couple weeks ago, Glenn, about how great it was to have Shabazz Muhammad back. But then seeing Shabazz on Saturday, how well he played, he's in such great shape. I mean, yeah, I mean, just rock and roll with the roster you got. Yeah, the coach has said that Shabazz has uh, looked really great in practice, and he took it right into that first game, too, and just showed what we've seen him do, you know, in previous years. Now, you know, we want consistency from him and, um, you know, also defense, and those are things I've talked to him about, and he knows it, and, and I, I want him to have a great year so that he can get, a, get himself a good contract in the future. And I'll leave you after this. Do you like the Aaron Brooks signing? He's a guy that's been around the block a few times. Well, you know, I think you just kind of know him because I've seen him play for so long. I, I just know that he'll be a steady Eddie and, and somebody that we can count on. And But, you know, I hope that uh, Travis gets to play uh, some too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Tyus. Yeah, I mean, I think. Or Tyus. Yeah, I mean, Tyus, Tyus to me, Glenn, has a role in this league. I mean, I'll admit my bias. I mean, covering him going back to when he was in the eighth grade. So I get it. I'm being provincial because he's one of us. He's from the Metro. But, but yeah, I mean, the way Tyus played at points last year, Glenn, I'd like to see Tyus get some minutes this year. I would, too. Well, I hope the coach agrees with us. <laughs> I don't know if he will because he likes Aaron so much, right? Well, Aaron played for him before, and that's uh, you know part of the reason that he's here. Glenn, always a pleasure. I can't wait for Wednesday night. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Glenn.
Yep, bye. Links slash Wolves owner Glenn Taylor, always gracious with his time. I get the sense that Glenn is as perplexed as I am, as many of you are, why Andrew Wiggins has not signed his contract to date. Do know that Andrew Wiggins' dad is still heavily involved, has been heavily involved the entire time. I do believe now, though, that Mitchell Wiggins is a little bit more in the spotlight after Andrew fired agent Bill Duffy. But there is still every belief that the deal will get done by October 16th. But heck, Glenn Taylor was on this podcast a couple weeks ago, and at that point he said, hey, look for some news later in the week. There was a belief that later in that week, Andrew Wiggins would put his signature on the dotted line. But again, there is every belief the deal will get done by October 16th. Glenn is always honest. Doesn't sound like anything is going on on the trade front. We have to go back. A number of weeks, months, might have even been this time last year. They're in my notes in my office. But anyway, I'm talking about Iman Shumpert from the Cavs. His name is still out there. The word is the Cavs would happily move him, but they don't want to take back any money in return. So the Cavs have no interest in acquiring Cole Aldrich for Iman Shumpert. They would move Shumpert, but they don't want any money back in return. So as Glenn said... Nothing is going on on the trade front. The Wolves have their roster that will open the season here in just a couple weeks in San Antonio on the 18th of October. And a reminder from my episode 100 podcast late last week, the Wolves did make a run, a mini run. It was more a phone call inquiring about Dwayne Wade, but the wheels were already well in motion for Dwayne to reunite with LeBron James, but the Wolves did make an effort. One other Wolves-related note, since they'll have a nice presence at the Pro Day, it's Kentucky's Pro Day. John Calipari, the Kentucky Wildcats Pro Day is this upcoming Sunday, Sunday, October 8th at night in Lexington, Kentucky. The Wolves, like every NBA team, will be represented. Before we dive into the Twins with chats with Thad Levine, James Rosen, Matt Belisle, and Trevor May, like the Trevor May angle, just from the standpoint of really talented pitcher, certainly would have helped them this year, but underwent the Tommy John surgery, so he sat out the entire season, rightfully so. So it's bittersweet for Trevor May, happy for his teammates, happy for his friends, but he's upset that he wasn't able to help out on the field this year. So I caught up with Trevor May in the Twins clubhouse the other day. So we'll get to those chats in just a second, but some love for Running Tap. Running Tap helps keep the Scoop podcast going online, running-tap.com. There's a local startup out there, and it is Running Tap, that delivers beer directly from tap rooms to you. People don't think about it, but beer in the liquor stores has been sitting around, sometimes upwards of six months, for an IPA that could alter the taste significantly also there are so many local breweries all across the state in fact i mean you think about it there's well over 150 breweries in minnesota and many of those guys are making small batches of amazing stuff but 90 percent of those beers don't make it into the liquor stores or bars but they can make it into your living room Thanks to Running Tap. You need to check out the website, running-tap.com. They deliver on Sundays. It's the same charge, whether it's Sunday, Saturday, Thursday. It's not like they upcharge you for a Sunday delivery. So you need to check it out. If you're a fan of all the great local beers like Vine Park, like so many others, you need to check out the Running Tap website, running-tap.com, for more information. 
Got the vibe from being at Target Field on Sunday that Robbie Grossman will be the Twins' DH on Tuesday in New York. That Miguel Sano will be on the 25-man roster. The Twins don't need to set that 25-man roster until 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Tuesday morning. So fully expect Miguel Sano to be on the 25-man roster. But again, fully expect Robbie Grossman to start the game as the designated hitter. That was the vibe I got. I put that on Twitter on Sunday, my Twitter handle, KSTP. But anyway, I was in the Twins clubhouse for a bit Sunday post-game. I talked with Thad Levine, Twins hitting coach James Rosen. I talked with Matt Belisle, Trevor May. So here are those conversations. But you'll notice within the context of the conversations with specifically the general manager, Levine, and the hitting coach that I referenced Sano. At that point, I didn't have the intel that it certainly looked like it would be Grossman. So this is before the news came out that it would be Grossman as the DH. But still, there's enough good stuff there that I will include that portion in these conversations. We'll start with Thad. Levine. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Touch 'Em All podcast. I saw that uh, the Yankees were moving Severino up to face him. They're they're pushing back Masahiro Tanaka, and Severino's going to pitch today. And you think, oh, that's a tougher pitching matchup. I think it's a good thing for the Twins. Not only do you get to see him, but did you guys read Joe Girardi's comments on why they made the move? They're only trailing the Red Sox in the division by three games, and Girardi says. It's not over. We can see a three-game lead be made up in a week. So they're moving Severino with the possibility that they could start him three more times instead of two for the rest of the season. And if they do that, Phil, his last start would be September 30th, meaning he's wiped out unavailable for the wildcard game. I think the Yankees' pursuit of the Red Sox, I think it's a good thing for the Twins because it means they're going to throw all their pitching at the wall to try to get the American League East. And if they fall short, they're in the wildcard game. No big deal. But... Now you don't get your ace for that game, Advantage Twins. You can find the Touch em All podcast on 1500ESPN.com's podcast page or on iTunes. Thad, how much did you enjoy Molly's pregame speech to the fans saying, hey, we'll see you back here next Sunday? It was great. I mean, I think that's been the attitude of this team for a couple weeks now is kind of why not us. And I think a lot of teams have been, or people have been focused on the teams at the top of the standings. And I think we've been looking at ourselves and saying, We've been competitive with those teams, you know, each and every series we played against them, and we're excited for this opportunity. So I think we look at this as we want to bring a home game to these fans. We, we celebrate it on the road. We may celebrate again on the road. We want to come back here and play some home games. You like your chances. I mean, everybody's saying, ah, oh, the Yankees will win. I mean, heck, Vegas is saying you should let's see the Vegas odds saying, ah, oh, Yankees are winning. They're going to Cleveland. But you absolutely like your chances, especially with Irvin on the mound. I, I would love teams to look past us. I mean, I think we've we've been playing competitively with all these guys. And you look at this team here, I mean, it's a great blend of young guys who don't know better and older guys who are, like, holding down the fort right now and stabilizing the team. So our lineup's been clicking on a lot of cylinders right now, and Irvin's been a bona fide number one. I'll take my chances with that combination. What stood out when Irvin made that start a couple Mondays ago at Yankee Stadium? Just the poise. You know, I think we had a game plan of how to get through that lineup, and it's a really tough lineup. There are a lot of young players in that, some veterans mixed in, but I think he stuck to a game plan and was very successful. He never gave in. You know, we had specific objectives against certain guys, and he didn't back off even in some hitter scouts. Is there anything you can lean on with Jason Castro, the fact he was in this environment, a one-gamer with the Astros and beat the Yankees a couple years ago? That's a great question. I mean, I think we do have some guys who are battle-tested here. By and large, we focus on all the guys who haven't been here yet. But in practice, we have some guys who are kind of the backbone of this team who have been there. I expect that experience will be brought to bear in that game. You all have a say in whether Miguel's in the lineup Tuesday. So when you have that meeting, are you ready to say, yeah, I saw enough this weekend, put Miguel in at DH? Or are you going to say, hey, Robbie's fully capable? Yeah. It's not like it's, you know, 
Sano or, you know, we got nothing. I mean, Robbie Grossman's a fully capable DH. It's an interesting decision you guys have to make. I think you walk into the game and you feel as if between Sano, Vargas, Grossman, you've got two guys coming up the bench during that game who could be lethal pinch hitters. How Molly wants to do that is a little bit up to him. I think the first guy you got to check with is Sano. How did he feel through the process? So the first person I'm looking to is Dr. Sano. Follow that up with uh, how our doctors felt. And then really James Rouse and Rudy Hernandez. What did they see out of him and what do they think they can get? Right now we've got some great options. As you mentioned, Robbie Grossman's been a huge part of this, the turnaround of this offense. So if that's where we go, I'll feel very confident in him as well. Leave after this. Did you think this team was this good defensively? I mean, even going back to March, what you saw down in Fort Myers, did you think, whoa, this is a really good defensive team? I, I think Gene Glenn deserves a ton of credit for the improvement to our left side of the infield. Uh, Miguel Sano and Jorge Blanco have been very much competitive advantages over there. Uh, I think the outfield defense is, was exceptionally talented walking through the door, but the work that Jeff Pickler and and, and Jeremy Hefner have done to put those guys in positions, I think has been exceptional. And then we knew the right side of the infield, Dozier and Maurer were gonna be great. Maurer turning in a gold glove season, it's only enhanced that process. We'll now hear from James, I thought it was Rosen, but Levine went Rousen. We'll go James Rousen. I will defer to Thad Levine on the pronunciation of the Twins hitting coach in his first year from the Yankees organization. Has a history with some of these Yankees hitters. So this will be fun, extra fun for James Rouse and the Twins hitting coach getting to take on the team he used to work for. Here's my conversation with James Rousen. It's a nice to finally turn the page here on the regular season and say, okay, all the focus is on Tuesday. No doubt. It's fun to end it with a win. Um, everybody's excited to get to New York and, and get to Tuesday's game, man. So everybody's looking forward to it. With your history with the Yankees, does this game mean a little bit more to you? Um, it means we want to win. So, I mean, you know, no, no matter where you are, you want to win the game. Um, this group of guys in this clubhouse have been phenomenal all year long and have earned an opportunity to go in there and win. So we're looking to go in there and win this game and keep and keep going. I suppose with your offense, you'll take your chances in a coin flip game. Every day of the week. I'd bet on these guys every day of the week. Um, they've been resilient all year long. They've kept at it regardless of what's happened, and that's put us in this spot right now. So we just got to go in, play the game, have fun, be yourself, and good things will happen for us. Evaluate Miguel Sano, what you saw from him this weekend. Um, I saw a guy who's been a big part of this team all year long and obviously um, ran into the injury bug and, and did everything he could um, to get back out on the field to, to, you know, to play the game. So, um, you know, I, his heart's in the right spot and he's battling through it. So, you know, time will tell. But, um, you know, I mean, he's a big part of this club. Molly, when, when he goes to you and says, James, what do you think? Miguel in the lineup on Tuesday is the DH. What will your answer be? We got to wait and see. I can't give that away. <laughs> I'll talk to you know that question comes. We'll sit down and talk about it as a staff, and um, we'll see how everything works out. But at this point, it's like we all, we're all going to wait and see what happens with that. I mean, I suppose it's a good problem to have because Robbie is a very capable alternative. If it happens to be Robbie, you don't miss a whole lot. Well, that's the thing about this club. Everyone's picked everybody up all year long. Um, when someone's gone down, someone else has stepped up and picked up the next guy. That's their mindset to keep the line moving no matter who it is. They play as a team, and, and each guy is, is being themselves. So no one tries to be the next guy. They just try and go out there and be themselves, and it's, it's worked for us. It's been a good uh, recipe for us this year. How gratifying has this year been for you personally when you think about the individuals like a Rosario, like a Buxton, so many guys, Polanco? So many guys having success, and you had your fingerprints all over that. You know, just so so happy for the players. Um, you you get a short amount of time to play this game um, at the major league level. So I'm really happy for these guys that have really busted their tails all year long. They've gone through the bad, and 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 they were, they're able to have some good. You know, at the end of the season, they stuck to the process. They worked their tails off, and and good things happen for them at the at the end of the year. So I'm really happy. Um, a lot of credit as well goes to I mean Rudy Hernandez, who's the assistant hitting coach here. Rudy's done a great job. 
um, with this guys. I mean, the club is a team, and I consider me and Rudy a team. You know, he he's in there every day with me. We're grinding things out. So, um, you know, as much as maybe, you know, talked about what I've done here, Rudy's done a great job with these guys as well. The very humble Twins hitting coach James Rousen. Now we hear from Twins closer Matt Belisle. To see how you've progressed since that time, your numbers the last couple months, just on an individual basis, how, how satisfying has this year been for you? You know, I, it, it's very difficult for me to talk about an individual thing with a team sport like baseball and especially with this team. So I have to defer any of that to this group. I'm just so honored to be part of the 2017 Twins because it's a very, very special, rare group. And anything that I've done, they've sure helped me do it. I mean, will there be a time maybe later on, maybe in the winter, that you'll be able to reflect and say, hey, that was such a special group. I had so much to do with the specialness of that group. Oh, I won't. I, won't, I can't do that. I won't look at it in that way. I'll just I'll be proud to have been part of it. Um, I will say that they provide impetus, though, as well. I mean, when I look at them and see what they're learning and what they're becoming, I, I look at myself in the mirror and say, let's let's do everything you can and then some, not only for you, but for these guys. And it's the mark of a, a, a great team. How much have you thought about getting the ball in the ninth inning on Tuesday night? Uh, you know, just as much as I think about any game, I always have a preparation and, and process just of, of visualizing, making sure that I'm ready and prepared. And uh, no more than any other game, just excited to take it uh, when it gets called my name. How much of your playoff experience can you share with the other guys? I mean, I don't know how to quantify that. Is there such a thing as, okay, you've been there that you can pass along to guys that haven't been there before? I think it is. I think when I was younger and hadn't got into it yet, I was uh, eager for advice from anybody that had been there. And um, it's kind of like the Hoosiers movie where he marks off the, the measurements under the hoop and says it's it's – you know, 10-foot rim, and there's just a few more people in the stands. This is just a few more people watching and a little bit louder, but it's the same game, and anything that I can give to these boys, I certainly will. How much did you enjoy Molitor pregame telling the crowd, hey, we'll see you back here next Sunday? That was pretty solid, and that was quintessential Molly, just short to the point, but um, genuine. I mean, but it's not lip service. There has to be a belief, a very strong belief, that you will be back here next Sunday. Oh, 100%. Um, I feel like part of this mindset has come from even since the break. We've been looking like every game has been a one-game play in the entire year. So we're not anything um, other than preparing the same way we've had the last two months. Not just the craziness of the year. I mean, who the heck in April would have said, you guys playoffs, last game of the regular season, Bartolo Colon getting a standing ovation, walking off the mound, and you as the closer. Baseball. You know, sometimes you just put your hands up and say baseball. It's, it's a crazy game. There's obviously a lot of business and uh, transactional moves involved, but uh, you just keep going forward, unhook the trailer of yesterday and see what today brings and just be ready for it. And, and it's been quite a run. It's been a very, very special season and one so far that I've enjoyed maybe as much as any. We'll finish the interviews with, to me at least, a unique angle. Trevor May out for the season, Tommy John surgery. Certainly looked like he would be in the rotation, if not the rotation, the bullpen. Certainly, if he was healthy, he would have had a large say, or at least a good say, in the success of the 2017 Twins. But he underwent the Tommy John surgery, missed the entire season. So this is bittersweet. Happy for his teammates, happy for his friends, but wishes he could have been on the field 
here in 2017. So anyway, I caught up with Trevor May on the Twins going to the playoffs the other day in the clubhouse. You don't get hurt. Probably in the rotation, if not in the bullpen. You're one of the better arms in this clubhouse. Yeah. What's it been like, just kind of the roller coaster of emotion, seeing your teammates have so much success, but knowing that you haven't been a part of it? Uh, yeah, it's weird. Um, I'm a very competitive guy. Uh, I'm very, uh, you know, one foot in front of the other type guy, and to see kind of like uh, the the culmination of like a goal getting back to pitching still being so far away uh, uh, is, is, for lack of a better word, frustrating still to this moment. I'm just as frustrated now about this uh, this uh, injury as I was the moment I heard I had to have a surgery. So, um, but. It's, it's definitely tempered with the fact that uh, I'm extremely happy for all the guys in the clubhouse. We've all been through a lot. We went through uh, the infamous year of 2016 together. A lot of us did. So um, you're seeing a turnaround like that is is uh, is phenomenal. And, and you know, I'm, I'm just happy to still be here in this clubhouse uh, and, and, it, and able to enjoy it, even though uh, maybe uh, I didn't have anything to do with it on the field this year. But. You know, uh, we have the same record we had that we had in 2015 at the exact same time. Um, but this year it's enough, uh, and it's great to see because uh, I know how close we were that year and how it felt um, to, to come up short. So I'm, I'm glad that we're going to have the opportunity to go out there and take it one game at a time, literally literally have a chance to uh, to kind of keep the thing going. It's on, We have in charge of our own destiny, which is it's pretty awesome. Frustration, mental. I mean, physically, you're okay. Is it the mental part? Oh, physically, I'm great. Physically, I'm great. Um, it's it's 100% mental at this moment, uh, and uh, it's been tough through the year. Um, you know, even even I saw it last year with the going through the the intermittent back issues. Uh, there was always a kind of an end point where I knew I could be back on the field. Um, so being in a dugout or watching or. or it's been tough uh, and taking small doses for me. Um, uh, it's all—it's weird. I'm coming to the realization that once I'm retired or done playing, you know how how hard it will be for me to watch baseball at that point, moment, knowing that my body won't let me compete anymore. Uh, it's going to be hard. Um, and it's just—it's just how I am. I think it's just how I'm put together, how my how, how I, my brain works. So. Uh, I always have to have like a goal to be re looking for it. It's, if it's closer, it's easier for me to to kind of uh, be patient, and I get impatient. So, um, but here we are at the end of the season. Uh, I've made a lot of progress, and we're in it. So uh, um, that puts a smile on my face, and, and just seeing the happiness and how everyone kind of trying to live vicariously through the other guys uh, has helped a lot. I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do here on Tuesday. A little bit. Uh, it's funny. My wife was extremely tired. Uh, uh, we we were in bed really early, right after the game. Um, but I knew that you know it had, uh, at that point the Angels were leading by a run. So, uh, but I set my alarm. I got up at three three in the morning, uh, and I think it was three here. Yeah, the guys were still still partying a little bit, and I had gotten no. I got up at two, so it was two. It was two o'clock. They were two hours into the celebration, and I got a bunch of Snapchat stories and Twitter, and I, I had my own little. I was really, really excited to kind of let out a uh, a prof, profane. Yeah, uh, I woke my wife up. So, yeah, it, it was awesome. It's something like I mean, Molly said. I remember he came out and told us last week in '15. He said, you know, you don't know how many opportunities you're gonna have to do something like this. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't in the cards last year, but um, 
to, to, to kind of see one obstacle be passed and then be very clear on what the next one's going to be is, is exciting. You can take it one pitch, one at bat, one inning at a time, and, and make some magic happen. Twins pitcher Trevor May. A reminder, the Twins have to set their roster, their 25-man roster, for the game against the Yankees by 10 a.m. Eastern, so 9 a.m. Central on Tuesday morning. The belief is they'll go 10 pitchers, chance of 11, but it looks like 10 pitchers among the 25. No reason to have much more than that. If the Twins win, they will play in Cleveland on Thursday, game one of a best-of-five divisional series. They can reset their 25-man roster that day, or I guess it would be maybe the day before Wednesday. I believe it would be Thursday morning that they would have to set it by. So the roster they are setting is just for one game. Same with the Yankees. They are setting just a 25-man roster for the one game on Tuesday night at Yankee Stadium. If the Twins lose on Tuesday night, we should find out some news on the Paul Molitor front. I would say before the week is over, will he be back? Will he not be back? If he's not back, presumably he would stay in the organization. But all signs point to, well, I mean, all signs point to at least Derek Falvey and Thad Levine saying, hey, this guy is, if he's not the American League Manager of the Year, he's second behind Terry Francona. How would we relieve him of his duty? Signs do point to Molly wanting to continue to manage. The question is, can his agent John Boggs and the Twins front office come to an agreement on a new contract? Everything will happen very fast, but the hope is, hey, the Twins beat the Yankees and they keep playing for at least a number of days, if not a number of weeks. I'll finish with a potpourri of notes because just not sure I'll be able to get to a microphone Thursday, Friday with everything very much up in the air. We don't know if there will be a Lynx parade one of those days, if the Twins will be in Cleveland. So, so much going on. So I think I'll empty out my notebook right now. But heck, everything is fluid. I mean, it's about the busiest time of the sports year. So inevitably, stuff will change as the week goes on. So if I can get near a microphone, I'll record a News and Notes podcast, episode 102. Plus, we can track down Twins GM Thad Levine to either preview the Indian series or review the season review what took place Tuesday in New York. So I will aim to do episode 102 before the week is over, but just in case, I'll at least mention some notes. I was in the wild locker room on Monday talking to Jason Zucker, among others. One of Jason's friends was among the victims in Vegas. His friend is in stable condition. Just a tragedy. I also swapped direct messages with former Gophers captain, fullback John Hazy, had a cup of coffee with the Green Bay Packers. In the NFL, he was also at the concert. He was on his way back to the Twin Cities on Monday afternoon. He saw two people within 15 feet of him be shot. He is okay. John Hazy, the former Gopher, is okay. On Gophers football, the quarterback from California that was here over the weekend, the four-star kid, Hank Bachmeyer, had a good visit. I'm told the Gopher certainly would have welcomed a verbal commitment that obviously did not happen. He may visit Boise State here in a couple weeks, but he's still highly interested. At least that's the vibe from the Gophers side of things, that they still feel like they have a great chance to land Hank Bachmeyer, even though he did not give them a verbal commitment over the weekend. I am told it's a strain, a strain for cornerback slash safety Antoine Winfield Jr. hamstring strain. I know P.J. Fleck was not real forthright on his Facebook chat on Monday. Maybe he'll be more forthright Tuesday at his regularly scheduled news conference to preview the next game they play at Purdue on Saturday. My information is Winfield Jr. will miss at least one game, but it could be worse. There is not a tear, is my understanding. He underwent an MRI, and again, the news is a strain. 
The unfortunate news is he will miss at least one game, but again, it could have been far, far worse. The Gopher secondary is certainly decimated because redshirt senior safety Duke McGee is out again. Again, as I've said for a number of weeks, whether it was on the Mackey and Judd show or on this podcast, you have to follow rules. There are NCAA rules. There are team rules. You have to follow rules. Unfortunately, if you're a Gopher fan, Duke McGee did not follow the rules. So Duke McGee will miss the Purdue game. Don't look for him to play either against Michigan State. It'll still be a few weeks before Duke McGee plays again at that point. Does somebody take his job? That remains to be seen. But Duke McGee isn't playing against Purdue. And again, don't look for him against Michigan State. On Demetrius Douglas, I'm told it's a shin injury. P.J. Fleck did come out and say he is out for the year. They will seek a medical redshirt. So unfortunate news on, I would say, the Gophers' second-best receiver. Tyler Johnson would be one. The true freshman, Demetrius Douglas, Omar Douglas' son, is their second-best receiver, but you won't see him the rest of the season. Gophers basketball news, 2019 guard from De La Salle High School, Tyrell Terry, was a guest at practice over the weekend. Reggie Lynch, Devontae Fitzgerald, Dupree McBrayer, Jordan Murphy, all out right now from contact situations, but they were in uniform when I was at practice on Friday. All are considered pretty much day-to-day. In fact, Reggie Lynch should have contact allowed by the time the end of the week occurs. McBrayer looked fine. Murphy looked fine. They'll be okay. You know, they'll miss Eric Curry. I mean, no doubt they'll miss Eric Curry. He was... He was there. He was a spectator at Friday's practice, but he had the crutches. Eric Curry lost for the year with the ACL, the MCL, and the meniscus injury. So that's an unfortunate injury. But in terms of getting Fitzgerald, McBrayer, Lynch, Murphy, no reason to rush those guys. All those guys should be fine. But just know going back to late last week, those guys were held out of contact situations. The November game against UMass that was supposed to be at the Nets home in Brooklyn, the Barclays Center, was moved down the street to one of the universities. Patino told me on Friday... Some sort of scheduling conflict. In his words, hey, we're playing that game. I believe it's like a noon start. He didn't think there would be that many fans there anyway at the Barclays Center. So he thinks it's better to play in a smaller gym, not an NBA arena. So he's plenty fine with it. But he said the reason for the venue switch has to do with some sort of scheduling conflict. Back to the wild being over at the arena on Monday. Chuck Fletcher said they have around $850,000 under the cap. The question is, would Daniel Winnick, clearly Bruce Boudreau, wants Daniel Winnick among his forwards. He wants Winnick in the lineup on Thursday, season opener against Detroit. He's here on that tryout contract. Would Winnick accept something like 750, 775? There's some trepidation there from league folks thinking, I don't know if Winnick's willing to take that. He did enough here in the preseason to have somebody pay him more than that, but maybe his love for Boudreaux will shine through. Maybe everything he's experienced here in Minnesota will shine through. So that remains to be seen. I can tell you, I guess for sake of the Scoop podcast, the Wilds would love to find a way to sign Daniel Winnick. Just don't know if it's possible. On the Vikings front checking all day Monday, I heard former Packer James Starks is more likely to retire and seek another job. Nothing going on on the Matt Asiata front as of 3 o'clock on Monday. He is a free agent. Some people thought, hey, would the Vikings bring back Matt Asiata? Well, wait and see, but I can tell you, no traction whatsoever on that front as of 3 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Nothing on any sort of reunion with Ronnie Hillman. I know there's Ryan Matthews, Pat Shermer history. I have not heard on Ryan Matthews. Right now, it looks like, you know, they have to activate Michael Floyd after the four-game suspension. You can put Cook on IR, activate Floyd, then make a decision later. So they may not immediately bring in a running back. 
Maybe they end up keeping both Stacey Coley and Rodney Adams, not exposing either to waivers, trying to get one through waivers and onto the practice squad to get Michael Floyd onto the 53-man roster. Certainly, C.J. Ham has running back flexibility. He's been good as a fullback, but he has running back flexibility. So they could roll with Ham, McKinnon, and Murray, but we'll keep an eye on that. The roster is always fluid, so it's entirely possible. Plus, they like the running back Hill that's on the practice squad. Could they elevate him? But in terms of, I can tell you, Asiata, Hillman, Starks, nothing going on on the fronts of those three guys in terms of any sort of reunion, at least with two, with the Vikings, then Starks is an outright free agent, the former Green Bay Packer. I'll call this an educated guess. Sam Bradford is back before the Baltimore game, whether that's the Chicago Monday night game or maybe more so the Green Bay game. On the 15th at U.S. Bank Stadium, the word is he continues to make progress. They don't think it's going to be another month or so. I suppose it's possible he misses a couple more games. But there is a belief that Sam Bradford is getting closer to returning. And make no mistake, Sam Bradford is the quarterback once he is healthy. This is not Case Keenum's team. On episode 100, late last week, I said the reunion taking place over the weekend for former Gophers men's basketball coach Clem Haskins. I'm told it was a good time. A big group gathered for dinner for Clem and Yvette Haskins at J.D. Hoyt's on Friday. They went to the football game tailgate on Saturday. I'm told a good time was had by all. It was something like 35 to 40 former players, student managers, people that knew support staff, people that knew Clem and his wife. And I know they had a good time. I know Brent Haskins, his son who works in the NBA, Brent was in town as well. So I know the Haskins had a very good time reuniting with a number of people that they are very close with. Then there were pictures somewhere in social media of Clem addressing the current Gophers team at one point over the weekend. Can't recall if that was Saturday or Sunday. Maybe they had Sunday off. Must have been Saturday. Must have been Saturday's practice. So Clem had a wonderful return trip here to the Twin Cities. A reminder, Vine Park Brewing, vinepark.com helps bring you the Scoop podcast. Please support the sponsors of the Scoop Podcast from Camp Zero Coolers, camp-zero.com, Running Tap. They will deliver local beer to you. So many good local breweries. They will deliver that beer right to your doorstep. The website, running-tap.com. Then there is Vine Park Brewing. Vinepark.com is the website. They've been around for 22 years. Swing in, grab a growler. They are in St. Paul on West 7th Street, not far from 35E, in between 35E and downtown St. Paul, centrally located. And I'm telling you, you don't make it 22 years with a crap product. It is really good beer. I'm a beer snob somewhat, although I'm not real picky about my beer. Hey, just give me my alcohol, right? Especially when I need that buzz. Give me something that can give me that buzz. But I'm telling you, Vine Park has really good beer, so many different recipes to pick from. So whatever your taste buds desire, I guarantee Vine Park can satisfy those taste buds. Swing in, say hi to owner Andy. Tell him you're a fan of the Scoop Podcast. That will do it for Scoop Podcast episode 101 again. My hope is I can get near a microphone late in the week for a News and Notes 102 episode, and we can track down Twins GM Thad Levine. Plus, I sent out a couple text messages to some other folks to see if they had some time today. If they get back to me, we can always record them later in the week and put them on episode 102. Always appreciate you listening.